How you doing, everybody? Andrew Scott, and we're about to start the latest Booth to Booth episode. But I wanted to take a second and mention something up front. Now, if you've been following me for a while, you probably know that I tend to try to stay apolitical. I don't feel that my content and my education is really tied to one political ideology or another. And I just try to, mm, at times, not go there. But for people like me and my two guests on this episode of Booth to Booth, our lives are political, and we have views, and we have things that we believe in. And this episode of Booth to Booth is kind of unapologetically political. And you'll understand why when we get into the episode. But I personally am very proud to have these two people, these two wonderful voice practitioners on with me in this Pride episode of Booth to Booth. Now, if this isn't your jam, that's okay. You can probably find somebody, a content creator or a VO educator, who you do jibe with politically. Now, I work with people all over the political spectrum. I work with conservatives and liberals, and with religious people and non-religious people. What I'm here for is communication and understanding. And I believe in getting people the visibility that they deserve. And so with that, let's get into the episode and get in the booth. See you there. Bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as education and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. While generally safe for work, some language may be considered offensive by more sensitive viewers or listeners. All right. Cans on. Mic's up. Level's good. You got me over there? All right, let's roll. This is Booth to Booth, your direct line to the latest in home voiceover production. With your favorite home VO experts throughout the industry, across the internet, and all around the world. Booth to Booth is brought to you by the Narrowband Broadcast Network, NBBN. The focus is on you. By Andrew Scott Media, making your media matter. By Booth Stuff, unique VO fashion and swag that's as loud and proud as you are. And by the kind support of our viewers and listeners all around the world via Kofi. Kofi, helping you give back to the creators that help you the most. The session clock is running and all the mics are hot. So let's patch in and get this session started. Here's your host, VO coach, narrator, and producer, Andrew Scott. Hello, and welcome back to Booth the Booth, the show where we talk about talking. And today, I am being joined by Maria Pendolino and Allegra Verletza. I got him right. Did I get him right? Yeah, you oh, did. yay. Okay, good. And today is a really special show for me as a uh, member of this community. This, of course, is June, and this is Pride Month. And I really am and most of my viewers and listeners know I'm really passionate about making sure that people who are underrepresented 
get seen in this industry. And um, both Maria and Allegra bring a very unique view of the voiceover world into the discussion because they are both part of an organization, at least one organization, uh, called Blue Wave Voiceover. And they are very forward in representing LGBTQAI talent. And I'd like to welcome both of you, Maria, Allegra, thank you so much for coming on Booth to Booth. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, thanks for having us. Doing great. Yeah, I'm good. I'm really excited to talk about all things voiceover queerness at all. There you go. And, you know, for my audience, I, I want you to know that if you're not queer, um, that's okay. We're pretty cool with that as well. But the thing that I want people who might be tuning in right now and are thinking about maybe tuning away if you're not part of the LGBTQAI plus community is um, maybe stick around and listen to this different perspective on our industry because there's a lot going on right now in the voiceover world on whole. But of course, there's also a lot going on in the realms of representation and visibility. And if you're a struggling voice talent of any level, seeing the view from a different perspective might actually give you some tools in which to bring up your own visibility, either commercially or just to be seen as a person. Um, Maria, let's start with you. How'd you get into this wacky world that we're in, sitting in tiny little rooms and boxes with a bunch of foam? Yeah, padded room all by myself as your favorite extrovert's extrovert. What a way to go. Um, so I grew up acting. Um, I was a very sassy 11-year-old auditioning for community theater productions of things like The Sound of Music and uh, My Fair Lady and Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I was in my parents' basement, like, scream singing uh, Broadway musicals uh, from CDs that I had bought from my babysitting money and dream of being on Broadway. Um, I went to college for theater. I moved to New York right after I graduated and wanted to, you know, pound the pavement and become an actor. Um, I took a slightly circuitous route in that I had a full-time job working in banking for several years. So my acting career at the very beginning was me doing off, 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 off Broadway yeah. or things like the Cadbury scene like at the duplex and Danny skylight room and all of these places where you could kind of like weave things in between your day job things rehearsed at nights and weekends you could get the cabaret slot at 11 30 at night sure. um so I tried to make it work and then um the recession between kind of 2008, 2010 was a real wake up call for me. Um, I was sitting in a cubicle graveyard, just kind of waiting to see if I was going to get laid off. And I said, you know what, this is really not what I want to do. So I quit my job, I cashed in my 401k and said, I am now an actor, capital A actor, whatever that means. Right. And I was auditioning for everything from theater in a barn in New Hampshire for $150 to like Boardwalk Empire, like the, the gamut of what an acting career in New York could look like. Um, and during that time, when I started booking some TV and film gigs, I was looking for ways that I could maybe make money as an actor in between, you know, waiting for the next thing. And someone said, hey, you know, commercials kind of move really quickly. You know, maybe that's something you could get into. Um, I never thought of myself as a commercial type. I'm a plus size woman. I don't see a lot of people like me in commercials. So it wasn't something that I wanted to go into. 
they're like, oh, what about voiceover? And I was like, what about voiceover? <laughs> you know, I've taken voice lessons for a very long time. I've always loved being that person who would like, you know, give my cat a voice or try to right. make my family laugh at the dinner table. Um, so I took like one of those one night seminars where you get to read a piece of copy and you might be sitting next to actors or lawyers or anyone who Googled like how to be a voice actor right. that day and signed up for a $79 class. Um, I read a piece of Verizon copy for a casting director, had a really good time. And I met with her after class and I was like, Hey, if I wanted to do this, like if I wanted to like actually move forward beyond like the one night, read a piece of copy, clap, clap, move on, you know, what does it take? Mm-hmm. And she kind of acted as a mentor for me, which was great, you know, to have someone who's deep in the industry, uh, you know, seeing your interest, seeing your passion lead you on your way. And that kind of kicked off my career. I started auditioning for commercials. I got my first agent. And then as I started to get my feet wet in, you know, just the commercial world, I started to discover everything that was out there as it pertained to voiceover. So, you know, your telephone systems, your explainer videos, the world of online casting. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. So I've now been a voice actor primarily for uh, just about 13 years. Um, I still mm, a little bit sometimes submit myself for on-camera things, but man, taking all the time to set up the crap and do the makeup and all that. You can just do it from your home. Like, why am I doing this again? Yeah. but uh yeah it's it it was a it was a really wonderful addition to my acting career it started out as just like a sidecar to it and then it kind of took over and i i moved into the booth full time and for me personally it was also a really great lifestyle change because i am disabled and i have psoriatic arthritis and living in new york city the pedestrian wonderland got harder and harder right and um i realized that the reality of eight shows a week or standing on set for 18 hours was really becoming more and more unrealistic Mm -hmm. um but when you walk into a voiceover studio just say to the engineer like hey could i have a stool and it's like there you go you're set I left New York in 2014 and I've been working remotely from Buffalo, um, my hometown where I moved back to since then. I was at the forefront of the home studio revolution. (laughs) I was a Oregon Trail voiceover pioneer leaving New York City well before COVID. Um, And when it hit in March 2020, it was like, oh, who has studios? What Source Connect? I was like, I know. I know what Source Connect is. I know. Um, and it's like, this is what we've trained for. Like, put me in. I was just going to say, we. I've said so many times, either on my YouTube channel or in the podcast, that, you know, when the when the, when the the pandemic hit, 99.9% of the people were freaking out. And all us voiceover people were going, yes, we yeah, are I mean, already set up. We are I, ready to I go. Really, I really wish it didn't take a global pandemic right? to, yeah. to, like, come around. But it's like... <laughs> You know, we're we're here now. We're yeah. arrived. Remote work is a thing across many, many industries, and it makes so many things equitable for so many reasons. Yeah. But um, you know, I'm I'm one of those people that the pandemic grew my business, right? It 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 Same. allowed me to yeah. audition and participate in things that were previously very geofenced. So it's it's been a great great journey. And, uh, yeah, I really I really love being able to say that I am a working actor from home. Right. I think there's very few people who can say that outside of our community. And it's something that I'm really, really proud of. Yeah. There's a quiet cachet that goes with the fact that your, uh, your commute is from the bedroom to your booth, stepping <laughs> over cat toys. That's, that's kind of cool. Allegra, how about you? How'd you get into this? 
Yeah. Um, well, I'm coming up on my three-year mark of being a full-time voice actor, which is just wild. Thank you both. <laughs> golf, golf clap. Thank you. I'm <laughs> I'm among legends, um, so Hardly. that feels cool to say. Um, but yeah, like Maria, I had a background in theater, um, a, just a funny kind of like queer gender bending actor moment my first role ever was in Aladdin Jr. as Jafar um and it was a very gender fluid experience um I can totally I can totally see it though I can totally see it so that's excellent (laughs) um so yeah that was my big break and yeah I I veered into playwriting and screenwriting for a bit that I veered into gender studies, got my degree in gender studies. So it's kind of always been this balance for me of artistic and acting interests and then social justice advocacy interests. Um, I worked in social justice nonprofits for about five years, the Trevor Project, uh, the Bronx Defenders, the Public Defense Org, um, an environmental justice org called Green City Force. And then um, the pandemic happened and I got laid off from that last job as an office manager. Um, And at that by that point, I had also been starting to take voiceover classes for about nine months. Um, You know, I really had a, a moment. Uh, like Muriel, where I was like, okay, what do I actually want to do? What's important to me? What's my fire? And my fire for me really was cartoons and particularly all the queer cartoons that were really um, booming starting from like 2014 on, like Steven Universe, um, you know, everything that happened with The Legend of Korra, um, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. I was like, oh, I'm seeing myself and I'm seeing my experiences in cartoons in the is so amazing and emotional. I want to be a part of that. <laughs> and right. I've always loved cartoons. And um, so I was like, let me do the Google, take the voice acting class. So nine months of training, thought it was going to kind of be like a slow thing. And where the pandemic grew your careers, the pandemic launched my career. Um, so I uh, was on unemployment and I just took that opportunity to go with it and run, take classes, build a booth get the commercial demo, get an agent. And I was really able to, I feel like, propel into it in a way I wouldn't have been able to if I had been working full time and not getting unemployment. So very thankful for that. And then I met this really cool person named Maria Pendolino, (laughs) Um, who I'd been hearing about in the ether. And um, I, you know, originally applied to be her virtual assistant. And she was like, hey, there's this thing I do called Blue Wave voiceover. Um, And your background, like, really, you know, meshes well with that of, like, all the nonprofit work that I had done. Um, And so I started being the virtual assistant for Blue Wave voiceover. I came on uh, the roster. And I will just say that Blue Wave voiceover completely like has transformed my career and has brought me so much amazing work, both as a full-time voice actor and as a queer voice actor. So both jobs that have to do with my queerness and my non-binary identity and jobs um, that are for progressive political causes in general. Um, So yeah. And then um, as my career started to progress, um, I hopped off being the virtual assistant, joined the steering committee. um, And here we are. I don't know. It's just been such a wild journey. (laughs) And here we are indeed. And it is is so wonderful and affirming uh, to hear both of your stories 
stories because in in some ways I can identify and affiliate with both of them uh, in so far as uh, again I've been disabled since I was 15 years old a C45 spinal cord uh, with paralysis and uh, having just come through about of uh, about of shingles by the way kids get your shingles vaccine. Seriously, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Um, but, uh, you know, the what you feel, Maria, in in being able to be vital and working and and moving forward with a career as a disabled person. And then, uh, honestly, Allegra, you and I are very similar in that we kind of thought about starting doing this and we kind of started it a little bit and we were planning on this this long ramp up time. Uh, no, uh, my business lit up within uh, the first uh, first three weeks of buying a used blue snowball microphone. I did a, a paid voiceover for a large government agency in the United States. And it was just go from there. Um, and then shortly after that, I did a humongous audiobook for the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Uh, and I very regularly tell people that was a mistake. I was not ready for an audiobook uh, of that kind, certainly. Uh, but hearing the not only the success that you both have achieved, but the validation that you both have gotten from your work and from your art and from your your place of practice i think that's something that often gets overlooked for people in the voiceover realm is that you shouldn't be working to be validated but boy when it happens when your peers when your coworkers come back to you and say wow that's you nailed that that's really good that's a kind of fire that you only get by doing the thing not by sitting here and googling all the time and making sure that you know every single corner of your booth is no it's you got to do it you got to start doing it in order to get people to look upon your work and and give you an evaluation and once you get that pat on the back man i tell you that's like that's about as good as your first check that, that honestly makes you feel as good as the first time you get paid for it. Um, before we kick to break, tell me, uh, Maria, start off, tell me about Blue Wave voiceover and, and what was the genesis of that for you? Sure. Um, so it was kind of the summer of 2019 and we were going to be gearing up for uh, the presidential election between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And I really did not want Trump to get elected. Um, that was something that I felt pretty strongly about, pretty passionate about, and I wanted to use my voice to try to make that happen. I know that as an individual citizen, I can vote. I know that I can convince other people to vote. I know that I can volunteer. I know that I can donate money. But I think there's limitations on that, right? There's limitations as to how far I can affect change with what I'm able to do, especially as a person sitting in a firmly blue uh, electoral state in, in New York. So one of the things I wanted to look into was political voiceover. 
And as I, you know, watched political ads on YouTube and kind of explored it, I realized that, you know, want, wanting to voice for Democrats and progressives, you know, they have specific communities that they're really trying to activate. You know, they're trying to activate um, Hispanic communities in different states like Arizona and Florida. They're trying to activate African-American populations. So when I was looking at um, the different ads that I was seeing made by Democrats for Democrats for progressives, I wasn't hearing a lot of like Caucasian millennial voices. <laughs> that wasn't like the main thing. You know, you've got like your kind of signature, like nasty guy attack ads and the like wagging finger, like 60 year old woman who's going to like yell at you for touching the bananas in the supermarket kind of voice. Um, but my like friendly shrug millennial next door kind of wasn't the rank and file voice that I was hearing in the types of political spots that were getting produced. So I was thinking to myself, you know, if, if I go to all the trouble to research who's producing these spots, you know, try to direct market them, reach out to them, find out if I can be on their short list of talents or freelancers, if they maintain a roster, you know, are they going to remember me? You know, they need me maybe one out of every 12 spots they do. So as I was thinking about it, I thought about, you know, what if I reached out to these people and instead of just offering my voice for change, what if I gave them every voice for change that they wanted? What if I gave them African-American talents with home studios? What if I gave them bilingual English and Spanish speakers so they could do ads to run in Spanish in places like Arizona and Florida and California? What if I gave them queer people who represent the LGBTQIA community that lifts up Democrats and progressives? What if I gave them non-binary people? What if I gave them young people, middle-aged people, and old people? So I tried to slice and dice all of the different ways if I was sitting in a, like, a Democratic and progressive ad producer seat what would I want in my one-stop shop to choose from? Right. So I reached out to some friends that I had met through voiceover conferences or were part of my accountability buddy groups. Mm -hmm. And I said, here's my idea. Is it a million dollar idea or is it a waste of time? And I'm just, whatever, it's, it's, uh, it's not worth anything. And the people that I reached out to, my kind of circles of trust said, there's something here. Like, we don't know if it's going to work. We can't really figure it out yet, but there's something here. So um, the first kind of iteration of, of Blue Wave was uh, about 20 people. And the idea was everybody had their own lane that they were kind of running in. And mm -hmm. of course, there's some, you know, flexibility between stuff. You know, we see specs that come out in the age range is like 25 to 40. And it's like, well, that person is you know, could potentially be in one generation or another, but like right. it's flexible. Mm -hmm. But this idea that kind of everybody had a lane that they were like the number one voice of that lane and then could, you know, move between some of the other lanes. And we did a ton of work and research to try and find all of the people who were producing ads. And we launched the site. We launched the site with um, our first group of people. We started reaching out proactively and saying like, hey, are you looking for new, fresh democratic voices or people who are experienced in the political genre? One-stop shop. You can work directly with them. There's no you know, interference in the center. 
And we really tried to split the difference between, you know, one single talents website where you get one voice and an online casting site where you have 175,000 voices and you don't know if you're getting someone who's a professional with a studio or someone who's like holding their snowball in their bathtub because they think the acoustics are better there and they just don't know any better, right? You don't know what you're getting. True. So we're saying here are 20 people who are vetted have home studios, they understand that the political cycle moves very quickly, and they're available to record any day and time, nights, weekends, everybody made the commitment saying I will make myself available, especially when it heats up near primaries or getting close to the election. And we said, here it is. And uh, it turned out to be something that people wanted. It turned out to be a, a gap in the marketplace that we were able to fulfill. We have been very successful in working with some of the best democratic and progressive media producers, communication firms, uh, consultants in the country. And we also worked really hard with the voice actor websites team led by uh, Joe Davis and Karen Barth to build a really text-rich informational website about political voiceover and about political voiceover actors. So as a result, we get an enormous amount of traffic coming to our website from simple Google searches. And we rank on page one for a ton of search queries that we think people who are looking for us might be searching for. And the side effect that we didn't really think about, you know, we we made the site specifically for political voiceover. The website has political all over it. We've got, you know, the the phrase blue wave, I thought was like, very clearly, <laughs> kind right. of like a political reference term. But we get an enormous amount of inquiries, both at the center and our artists get them directly from people who are completely outside of the political spectrum. We had someone from London reach out looking for an African American woman to narrate a nature documentary. We've had people reach out for animation. We've had people reach out for e-learning. We've had people reach out for commercial. And it's not that they are, um, you know, dismissing the political thing, but it's, it's also just like, oh, I'm looking for great, diverse artists. And I think they appreciate the fact that they can see that they're vetted, we have their studio details, and they can work directly. We're not creating a middleman, woman or person that everything has to funnel through. Yeah, you seem to be, uh, you know, I think it would be easy to mistake what Blue Wave is as an agency, when really it's more a directory. Yeah, we kind of branded ourselves as a voiceover chamber of commerce. So similar <laughs> to like the chamber that. of commerce, we are a group of individual voiceover artists or voiceover businesses, and we are aligned under a common banner, a common mission with a goal of using our voices for good and for change. And with that mentality, we are set up in a way that allows everyone to share in the success when people choose their voice. We can't control who the client wants to choose. We can't control. It's a, it's the same thing as a, a chamber of commerce that's got restaurants and hair salons and sure. dog groomers, whatever. You can't control who the people in the community are going to go to. But all of you together as businesses are excited about growing the business within your community. So yeah. we as individual artists are exciting about growing the business within this community that we've built. And collectively, we are all hoping to elevate each other's businesses by growing this brand together. Sure. It's the rising tide floating all boats. Exactly. Um, I want to be really clear 
that I personally, in in the stuff that I'm putting out there, I try to be apolitical by way of message. However, uh, you know, I have a political affiliation of my own, and you know, you two as well do. But I think what's really significant for me here in the story of Blue Wave is this idea of a uh, twofold. Number one, niching down and finding that gap in the market. That is really important and I think is often overlooked by way of approach with a new voice talent when they're trying to find that way in. They're trying to find that crack in the wall. Um, really stepping back and and feeling where your voice might fit, not where you perceive it to fit, because a lot of times we come with a preconception of I am a an AS, ASMR guy, or I am a uh, I do promo work. Uh, you know, one of the things that I discovered that my voice has been used for countless times is um, is IVR and voicemail systems. Uh, Never in a million years did I think about that as a place where I would be able to cut a, a, a hole for myself. Uh, I've done hundreds and hundreds of hours worth of that work simply because, as you were saying, Maria, somebody came in, heard me in a different place and went, hey, would you be interested in doing this? And then I'd done that. And then I had that in my reel. And then all of a sudden, two, three more pop up. And the next thing you know, I'm the voice of a, a huge uh, research university in the Midwest. And, you know, they were a regular client of mine for years because the turnover in that means that many people come, many people go. The IVR has to be updated all the time. Um, but the other thing that it, it really points me to is that banding together at times, especially when you're struggling especially when you're just starting out and you don't have the real and you don't have the credential and you don't have the track record, getting in with a group of people, even a practice group, or as you said, an accountability group, um, you never know what those things will turn into. And quite often, pooling resources, even as beginning talent, can crack something open where everybody can file in. And so I don't want it to be we're three Democrats sitting here talking um, for as much as that might be important to us. And we'll continue on with that discussion in, in, in a few minutes. But the power of standing together, the power of being in community, a real community, not one of 90,000 people on Reddit. Uh, hello, Reddit friends. But, um, you know, getting in with a like minded group of practitioners and working together can quite often accomplish a whole lot more than you sitting there in your booth by yourself. Uh, Allegra, how did you wind up coming on with Blue Wave? You said that you started off kind of working as the the VPA, and you know how did you how did you get so enmeshed so quickly? Well, uh, Maria invited me to both come on as the virtual assistant to do admin work um, behind the scenes and to also at the same exact time come on as a roster talent. So um, I was very lucky to get both of those invitations. And um, I believe that 
my background in nonprofit administration, communications, fundraising, and then all under the umbrella of social justice missions and work um, really allow really connected with Maria's need for someone to do admin work on the background, but who also, who understood those things as well as was in the voiceover industry. So it's kind of a, a perfect like aligning of stars. And so I helped with invoicing. I helped with a lot of like the building out of the LGBTQ parts of the site and just kind of like flagging things and be like, oh, like, could we include everyone's pronouns like on the site? Like, oh, like, I think like this would be a helpful category to add or like breaking out like LGBTQ plus into non-binary, trans, um, and gender non-conforming, just like things of my own knowledge and experience. And then as I was getting into the voiceover industry, noticing could be helpful. And Maria was just always so welcoming of those ideas. Um, And then as I was, you know, answering casting emails, I was also auditioning. um, And it was really awesome to be simultaneously supporting this work and also benefiting from it as a voice actor, Um, particularly because when I transitioned into voice acting, I was really worried that I would have to let go of the advocacy and service-based work I was doing. Uh I didn't know how that would fit into the entertainment industry, into things like commercial voiceover that, you know, has a lot of capitalism in it and a lot of things happening that weren't exactly aligned with, you know, me wanting to fight for a better world. And so it was so amazing to see a group of voice actors standing in exactly who they were. And as you said, like using that authenticity um, to their benefit and saying like, we are here, we are proud of exactly who we are. This is what we can offer. And I think it's been so encouraging to see um, how fruitful that has been both for the careers of all of these voice actors, particularly for our voice actors of color and our queer and trans voice actors um, and how it's also just been beneficial for all the work that we do. Excellent. And we are going to switch over to a discussion of representation, visibility, equity, and authenticity after the other side of this break. This is the Narrowband Broadcast Network. You are watching Booth to Booth. I am Andrew Scott, along with Maria and Allegra, and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Booth to Booth is brought to you in part by BoothStuff.com, the home of the world's most unique VO casual fashion and swag. You know... This thing that we do is pretty unique. So, slap on a Booth Stuff t-shirt that tells the world, or, you know, your cat, that being in a tiny room by yourself is where you truly belong. Shirts, hats, pants, mugs, and more. Well, not a lot more. Actually, that's pretty much it, anyway. Booth Stuff is the one and only home for VO-centric swag that lets the world know what you do with that mouth of yours. So, head on over to BoothStuff.com and get something that shows the world who you are and what you love to do. BoothStuff.com. Loud and proud. Three, two. 
And hello and welcome back to Booth to Booth on the Narrow Band Broadcast Network. I am Andrew Scott, and I am talking with Maria and Allegra, who are both involved, and one of them is the founder of Blue Wave VoiceOver. But we're going to switch tack here a little bit and talk about something that all three of us uh, are pretty passionate about, and that is visibility, representation, equity, and authenticity in voice work. Um, you know, so often as a voiceover coach myself, you know, I'll get asked by people, uh, you know, how do I bring my authentic voice? And that's, in, in this circumstance, that's not really what we're talking about. Um, you know, people mistake the idea of authenticity for how do I sound genuine? How do I sound real? How do I sound conversational? The authenticity that we're discussing is the authenticity of self, the authenticity of the talent, and what they bring to the mic by way of their life and their lived experience. And, you know, Allegra, before we jumped out to break, um, you, were, you were saying something about how when you were in the show business bubble, when you were, you know, trying to, to elbow room in there, you were fearful that you would have to give up or at least minimize the the passionate causes that you were giving a big chunk of your bandwidth to. You felt that you would maybe have to step back from them or minimize them or shadow them in order to stay commercially viable. And I'm really encouraged to hear that through Blue Wave, you you've not only been able to not have to do that. I guess that's a double negative or a triple positive. I can't figure that out. Um, but, you know, actually incorporate your passions and your pursuits and your your issues into what you do as a voice talent. Um, how did, and I guess I'm looking for a little bit of a cheer me up story in this regard. How did it feel when you suddenly realized that you could be your 100% authentic self in the booth, on the microphone, and not have to worry about who you are being a barrier in your career? I think that it, it was such a huge moment when I started realizing that there were people out there who specifically wanted to have a non-binary voice actor be a part of their project, have a member of the LGBTQ community be a part of their project, whether it be because they wanted me to voice a PSA for GLAAD, which I've done thanks to Blue Wave, and they said, we want, you know, an, a member of the LGBTQ community to amplify this message that is all about fighting for, um, you know, queer and trans rights during this really turbulent time, or whether it be a virtual training for, um, you know, the Trevor Project Lifeline, which was so this, that was actually the real moment where I was like, oh, like everything is coming together because I, as I mentioned, I volunteered and worked for the Trevor Project. And then they reached out to Blue Wave um, looking for a non-binary talent to uh, voice uh, a PSA as well as 
be a part of their virtual lifeline training. And I'm like, I took that training. I worked as a lifeline counselor. I did that work. Was there some point where you went, hi, it's me, I'm back. When they, you know, reached out, I was just like, also, like, I was a part of this organization and I was kind of talking to a middle person. Mm. Um, but then it was fun when I got on the session with sure. the people and it, it was no one I had worked with, but I, I was like, yeah. Oh my God, that is just so magical. And for them, they were like, we didn't even actually know that you were a former Trevor County. Yeah, so there was no there was no nepotism or anything involved. There was no connections back. No. You know, it was just suddenly this happy coinky dink. And and here I am again. Yeah. And using voiceover and just my authentic voice, because to put it out there, there's no one queer sound. There's no one non-binary sound, just all the like no one woman sound, no one, you know, person of color sound like we're all incredibly beautifully diverse. But the fact that I could use my voice both metaphorically and literally to um guide people through this training to talk to LGBTQ youth struggling was just beautiful and amazing and was when I realized how um, impactful voiceover work can be. Like you said, like you never imagined like IVR and telephony. Like I never imagined all of these ways that voiceover can be used for advocacy and education and amplifying messages and all these things I was passionate about before entering the industry. That's fantastic. Maria, um, when did it really occur to you to have as part of your core mission visibility for underserved communities? I mean, obviously there was the political side of things. And I imagine there's an argument to be made that part of part and parcel of that political view is bringing more voices into the mix. But when did it kind of click to you that, you know, there's a certain bandwidth of people that need support and I want to be part of that increasing visibility? I don't know if there was any one moment, but I think I became really cognizant of the power I had as a white woman in this industry when the discussion around Hank Azaria voicing mm. a poo on The Simpsons mm. kind of bubbled up to like the national discussion. Right. right? So we had had previously in Hollywood, um, you know, there up up until like still very recent memory, there has been a tradition of very, very talented actors and voice actors portraying uh, animated or avatar characters on screen that do not match their heritage, right? We've gotten past minstrel shows and blackface as it pertains to like live action for the most part. But, you know, a couple of years ago, Cameron Crowe made a movie with Emma Stone playing a half Asian person, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, we're not, we're not talking about distant history here. No. So there's still been like learning and changing, but that particular conversation when, you know, someone took the time to share with Hank Azaria how uh, impactful and hurtful his portrayal of Apu is, understanding that that was not his intention, but right. just being honest and bringing it to his attention of how that portrayal made him feel, that the, the person that brought it to his attention. Yeah. 
And then Hank Azaria standing up and saying, I didn't know this. I didn't realize this. My bad for not knowing and realizing this. But thanks for telling me. Now I know. I'm not going to voice that character anymore. And I think that's really significant about the Azaria story is that, you know, there's two mechanisms that are happening in this discussion that I want to point to. Number one, Hank Azaria, who honestly, if we're being truthful, had no real reason to change what he was doing. We're talking about a character that has been around for well over at the time it bubbled up, well over 25 years in popular culture. And for him as an incredibly successful actor and voice actor to step back and say, you know what? I wasn't truly aware of this. I did not have this in my vision. Now that I do, I want to be part of the change and not perpetuate the problem anymore. The other interesting thing about your approach to this is in Hollywood, you'll so often hear a defense of what's referred to as whitewashing of an ethnic voice um, or whitewashing of a part. Well, we don't have access. There aren't people of this or that, you know, specific ethnicity or, or 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 affiliation. We don't have access to those actors, those voices. They're not in the industry, which of course is bogus. And for you to say, you know what, if that's your, if that's your impediment, if that's the step up, I'm going to remove that barrier by providing those voices. I will gather together well spoken, well talented, vetted, professional voices. So you don't have to lean on that excuse anymore because we think it is an excuse. Here's a bunch of people to choose from hire from people who are living this experience. And I want to say, obviously, kudos and thank you. But also, did you or have you gotten any blowback from Blue Wave, uh, from from heading this up? Uh, Have there been, you know, uncomfortable rubs along the way as you built this out? Yeah, I think we've we've been fortunate that we haven't had a ton of, you know, negative blowback or negative reaction. Um I think the hardest thing for me was, you know, as someone who's been involved in the voiceover community, you know, I've I've taught some classes and webinars, I've presented at conferences, I've made friends along the way. I think the hardest thing for me was I couldn't invite everyone to be a part of the site, right? So, you know, we wanted to create something that felt uh, manageable, but also give people the opportunity to succeed and not oversaturate the market that we were building. So I think the hardest thing for me has been telling people no, you know, Mm. and telling talented people, no telling talented people who are qualified and could easily stand alongside the other folks on the site that we don't have room for them or we don't need them. Mm. Um, I've certainly received some hater grams, um, for lots of reasons, whether it's blue wave specific or otherwise. Um, I think once you put yourself out there publicly as anything, whether it's publicly as a content creator, a founder, a leader, or whatever, you know, you share things on social media, and suddenly you realize that you're not just sharing your slice of life with your perfectly curated group of friends. You know, Instagram's algorithm is riding the wave and sending your video out to all sorts of people who have all sorts of opinions. Um, So I think having a really good relationship with your therapist and your friends, uh, not reading the comments, staying off of local news, comment sites, all of those types of things Mm. um, is a big part of self-preservation. I want to go back to one thing that you said about 
the representation and the excuse that we were hearing from various people saying like, oh, we, you know, cast someone like Hank Azaria because, oh, there just isn't someone. The reason that there isn't someone is that there's been unbelievable systemic exclusion. So people like AAPI, Asian American, Pacific Islander performers, queer performers, people of color have not historically seen themselves being performers in cartoons or series regulars or whatever. So when Mm -hmm. you don't see it and you don't aspire to it and you don't believe there's a path for you, you don't go in that direction. That's exactly, that's, that's exactly my view of it is that huge part of the reason that people who have the hiring power, whether that's a casting director, a producer, a production manager, an engineer, whoever's part of choosing talent, a big reason that they had the ability to give that excuse is because so many people were not invited to the table. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I have some grand, sorry, I hit my mic. I'm not going to pretend that I have some grand message that I wanted to, to change the world and, and bring all of this work to everyone. It, it, does, it didn't come from a purely altruistic place. But I do believe in the idea of, as I'm moving up the ladder, it's important for me to look down and see who needs a leg up. Can yep. I give you a hand up and bring you up a couple rungs and you might climb ahead of me. And maybe in two years, I'm going to be here looking at you and you're going to give me a hand up. And that for me is my philosophy. And that is part of why I decided to invest my time and energy in something like Blue Wave and marketing 20 people's voiceover businesses instead of just my own. Because I believed that it would eventually, like you said, a rising tide is going to lift all boats. If I can bring clients to the site and they want to use the site, some days I'm not going to book the job. That's not going to help my bottom line. But if that client is happy because they found a great queer talent like Allegra, or they found an amazing African-American talent like George Washington III or any of our other talents on the site, and they keep saying, oh yeah, I found that person on Blue Wave. Oh yeah, that worked out great from Blue Wave. Then that person's going to come back. They're going to become a net promoter for us. They're going to say, oh, you need a talent? Let me refer you to this. We've had a lot of people email us and say, oh, so-and-so used you and they said you were great. Oh, so-and-so mentioned your site. That to me is the value that I bring to my own business. And that's why it's not purely altruistic because I know that I might be able to financially benefit from the fact that our clients and the people who are using our site are finding phenomenal talents that represent this whole spectrum of heritage, of authenticity, of background, of gender identity, however you want to slice it and dice it. And I think that that's that's key here when we're talking about authenticity um you know uh, uh, for the three of us as working voice talents when you've been doing this for a while there is a very fine frequency in any read that carries the signature of authenticity and it's this special magical spice put into a recording that honest to gosh cannot be faked. It really can't. And I think that that's something that, you know, uh, you know, I'm when I'm coaching, I pretty, you know, my rule is any working voice talent should be willing to throw themselves at any piece of copy at any given time of day and at least get it in the ballpark. At least have it be 
passable. And then the refinement process happens. And a lot of times you'll wind up getting blocked at that point because you start feeling imposter syndrome. If you really don't affiliate personally with that message, quite often that's the time, that's the deciding factor between, yeah, I feel good about doing this piece versus mm, maybe somebody else should get this. Imposter syndrome I think for for us voice talent who are either uh, you know in the LGBTQ AI space or in the disabled space, um, we deal with imposter syndrome a lot. I've got a question from a user of mine on my Discord server, um, whom I'm going to uh, remain. I'm going to keep them anonymous, but um, they say as a non-binary voice actor, oftentimes it feels like I'm faking it uh, on account of not being out to their family and being apprehensive about explicitly saying it for professional purposes, you know, on their website or in introductions to agents that they're talking to. This person wants to know how you, the collective, you guys, how did you overcome this imposter syndrome for gender? So specifically, I'm going to throw this to Allegra. Allegra, how did you, how did you navigate or how do you actively navigate those feelings of imposter syndrome? And, and what steps did you use to get yourself into that comfortable place of, no, this this is me. You're hiring this. Mm. Therapy. Yeah, um, right. But truly, like, I think it is the fact that I came to voiceover a little later in my life journey, like, let's see, I came to it at 27. Um, and so at that point, I had been out for almost 10 years. I came out as bi when I was 18, came more into the word queer um, a few years later and kind of still feel both and, and whatnot. I'm a multiple gender loving person. Mm -hmm. um, and then came into my gender fluid and non-binary identity a few years later, around 23. So coming into voiceover, the timing was right for me because I had done so much work by that point to feel unconditional love for myself and surround myself with people, both queer and straight, both cisgender and transgender and non-binary, who all unapologetically love themselves, have hard days for sure, um, but really invested my time in therapy, community, what I, what content I'm looking at that is celebrating of who I am. Um, and so I will say that not, so it, it wasn't perfect when I got into voiceover, um, it definitely felt exposing. It definitely felt, particularly around my gender, I was very proud to be non-binary and gender fluid, but there was the these scary feelings of like, okay, wow, um, yeah, I just gotta like put it out there, um, or I could not, but like that feels very bad. Right. Um, and like gender gets brought up a lot in voiceover. So yeah. that also like, I was like, whoa, like 
it's so wild, like how like you don't think about it until it's happening. But like we're all navigating how much gender comes up in voiceover. Sure. And so I was like, I think I got to really put my best foot forward. And, you know, and, and I've loved how inclusive the community has been. But there's a lot of education to be done, even among allies. So I don't run into people who are hateful at all. But I run into well-meaning allies who just like, you know, aren't as educated or are a little nervous or and so which leads to I get misgendered a lot in voiceover spaces, people not sharing pronouns, people just not having an understanding that gender is a spectrum um, and that there's more than two genders. Um, and sorry, I'm I'm going many no, times, you're but totally fine. <laughs> um so I realized I was like, okay, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna have to do some educating and I, you know, can maneuver that in a healthy way for me. I don't always have to be the teacher, but I I just learned pretty quickly, like, I'm always gonna have to be the person that like, introduces myself with my pronouns first, asks other people their pronouns. And just the way I talk about gender in classes and with my agents, I'm gonna have to tell my agents, can you Every time a client books me, can you tell them my pronouns? Because I keep getting misgendered in sessions and it's really tough. And I don't know how to tell Toyota to stop right. misgendering me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah. That, that, that's, that's really illuminating. And I think what it's shining a light on is this struggle that we're all having here in the 21st century, or I shouldn't say all of us. Some of us are totally fine with it. Um, this idea that you know, change is afoot. Change is a good thing. And what we're changing into is a more equitable, more egalitarian society. And there's going to be growing pains with that. And there's going to be times where we have to be willing to educate those people that we're interfacing with in order to get them to see that this is an issue. This is just the same thing of if you don't see it, it's not a problem. You just kind of carry on the way you always have. Well, the majority of us are saying we're not going to do this the way we always have because there are inherent problems with the way we have always done things. And that's how you get Al Jolson in blackface. And that's how you wind up getting Hank Azaria, you know, essentially perpetuating a stereotype out of a, a uh, admittedly out of a fun affinity but still offending a large segment of the population. We want to be vehicles for the, the deshrouding of that change so that it becomes less of a thing. You know, it's, I think that's something that is, is really misconstrued, and that is that uh, many people think that those of us in this space who are wanting change are just going to be totally shrill about it and very self-righteous and sanctimonious about this. Um, we're not. We just want it to be part of the discussion that you all take into consideration. And I, I mean that specifically to voiceover. You know, so many of us would love to think that we're above thinking about voices as something tied directly to gender. But it's not. If you want an authentic voice and an authentic expression for your commercial project, you really want somebody to be authentic because of that magical seasoning that comes into that voice. Um, 
Could we, you just please go ahead? Um, in answer to the question from the Discord, just like uh, going through those tough feelings, I did slowly come to a place of realizing that it was scary. But when I put myself out there, things bloomed and meaning bloomed for my career. And I got so many and get so many beautiful opportunities because I am out and proud and put it everywhere who I am. And that then my voice can support amazing projects for my community. And then I have gotten many messages from people that are like, hey, like, I have like, been following you and watching you online. And I just want to say like, you being yourself like makes me feel less alone. And even one person once was like, I've been like struggling to come out as non-binary for a few years and just seeing you like live your life and be out um, and then like voice cool queer audiobooks like is so inspiring. So just know that you are like not alone in the fear and the vulnerability and connect with other non-binary voice actors like message me um, <laughs> because like we're all here and we're all going through it together. And I think it's to that point of like connect with other people in their booths. I think there, you know, there's an old saying uh, that there's nothing that feels as scary as standing naked on top of a mountain. And there is also nothing that feels as good as standing naked on top of a mountain. And so that's really where many of us have had to get either with our gender expressions or our disabilities, uh, being and living our truths and being examples of, of the embodiment of positivity. I know I'm getting all very hippie and woo-woo, but um, that's significant, right? Uh, it's, it's significant and it's more significant than anybody thinks from a commercial side of things. Um, if you think about the advertisements that actually touch you as a person, there is a, an authenticity to those reads that, as I said before, can't be fake. And finding, you know, both you, Maria and, uh, Allegra, that, this this place of authenticity is not only freeing for you as a person, but is also commercially valuable. Um, I don't mean to always bring it back around to money, but you know it's we're real. we're here to make make dough, and being able to use that as a selling point. I will fit your material because I live your material. And you can't say that about many other people on a pay to play casting site unless they are you know out enough to make it known and that um that point about commercial viability i think is really timely and i know that allegra wanted to touch on this if we have some time to talk about oh, it absolutely it's my show difference. we can go as long as we want <laughs> there's such a huge difference in embracing it because you want to and you believe in the authenticity and wanting to use it for like the stamp right just the rubber stamping and i mm. think that's what we're seeing with the types of things that have happened in the marketplace with budweiser and with target like the difference between choosing to represent a community authentically and engage that community authentically with their writers their artists their producers whatever it is versus just saying like oh 
we think reaching out to this community is going to help us make money. So we're going to do that and put a stamp on it. And here's your rainbows coming out of everybody's butt. Right. And we see what happens when it's not rooted in a real thing, right? I don't want to dom- I don't want to dominate the conversation about this because Allegra, I know you have a lot of feelings about it. So I'm going to hand it over to you. I'll, yeah. I'll tee you up to talk a little bit about how you've been feeling about what's happening in the commercial marketplace as it pertains to Pride Month. Yeah, please. It's a tough time for queer voice actors because what I all what I just said is all the beautiful side of it. Right. And then there's the side of it that's tokenizing, that's exploitative, that's inviting queer creatives in to amplify your brand and make you money and then abandoning them yeah. and then exposing them to real life violence online and IRL. And that's what happened to both Dylan Mulvaney, um, the trans woman who voiced the Budweiser, or not voiced, um, I wish she voiced, um, who was, <laughs> the, um, you know, on the ads for Budweiser. And then they totally like distanced themselves from her and kind of left her in the dust in the face of all this vitriol. And then what happened with Target, um, and I actually voiced the Radio Pride commercial for Target. And that felt amazing when I booked it and when I did it. Um, and uh, the session was amazing. And then it's been so heartbreaking and indescribable then to watch what's happened with Target's response, which I, I do think is cowardly. And there was a different way to go about it rather than um, you know, completely pulling the Pride merchandise when they worked with these artists for a year. They invited in these queer and trans artists to make merchandise, to have it celebrated, to make it specifically for this campaign. And within a week of a loud, bigoted majority, um, you know, committing violence and frankly acting like children in a department store, they completely abandoned those creators. And so those creators are not now seeing the profits from their art. It's being moved to the back of stores. Even people going into the store asking, like, can I get this t-shirt? And that t-shirt is available, it not being sold to them because it's been recalled. So it's just really messed up. And then also like bigots coming to their inboxes. So that is not the way to be an ally um, to creatives, to queer and trans creatives. And what's also really disturbing is there is a complete um, kind of, uh, what's the word? Like companies are not doing pride campaigns this year. And this is news that has kind of just become very apparent to queer and trans creatives in the past two to three weeks. Every from drag queens to voice actors to actor, like other kinds of actors to artists, designers, they're not getting pride bookings. And June is one of the most lucrative months for so many of us that we depend on for our survival the rest of the year, the way other people depend on different type times of work. Sure. And so companies are not rolling out their rainbow logos. They are not doing campaigns when they've done pride campaigns for 10 to 15 years. And it's clear because it is too polarizing to support queer and trans people, meaning it's not profitable. Mm-hmm. So it's just a real time of, um, I think, just for queer and trans creatives to understand their value and understand their worth 
and be in solidarity with one another and just be um, thoughtful when you when those pride campaigns come back next year um, and be thoughtful in we deserve partnerships that are not just rainbow capitalism and the stamp, as Maria said. Um, we deserve collaborators that actually believe in the message that they're amplifying. Uh, Target's line was take pride. Um, and they took pride to the back of the store. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's it's been a hard time. But also, I love Glad's um, slogan this year is you can't ban queer joy. You can't ban it. And we have survived worse and we will survive this again. And when those companies come back, the rates might be higher. So <laughs> just who knows? Yeah. And, you know, to say that I feel all the things that you said is kind of an understatement yeah. um, as as a person in the community myself with a non-binary uh, child. Uh, whom I am immensely proud of uh, and everything that they have done uh, in their life in, um, you know, and, and their support of me as, uh, as a person in this community. Um, the, the thing that I want to know primarily from you, Maria, is how is Blue Wave moving forward? What's, what's the future look like for you if you, if you visualize it? Yeah, so we started thinking about what we thought the advertising would be like in 2024 for next year's presidential election. And we recognize that there's an enormous wave of change coming with Gen Z advocacy. So one of the first things we did in looking for new and fresh voices to offer to our clients and to put on our platform was to invite members, like true Gen Z members, uh, to be a part of our collective. Um, and I think that's important not only from a voice offering standpoint, but also recognizing that business methods are going to shift and change as more baby boomers and older Gen X people retire, right? So we're going to see the people who are in the hiring positions, um, their sensibilities are going to change. And I think it's really important not to sit here and say that I know everything and I want to be informed by and learn from people who know things that I don't know. I think it's a really smart business decision to surround yourself with the smartest people in the room and recognize that that might not be you. Um, we also Trust me, I'm I'm sitting in a room by myself, and I know that that's not true. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I'm I'm really pleased to have, um, and and I think it's it's also challenging in voiceover, right? Because we always say like, oh, I can voice older, I can voice younger, and like, yes, that's true, that's absolutely true. But there is a sensibility coming from this younger generation that is really pushing the needle on advocacy and change. I think a lot of it comes from them being the school shooting generation, which is an awful right. like moniker to have. Yeah be responsible for. Um, but every time I see, you know, another Gen Z lawmaker get elected or another Gen Z advocate coming out of like the Florida school shooting group that really moved like some of the marches forward and things like that a couple years ago, like I want to bring those people into the fold. I want to amplify those voices for sure. Um, we also looked at kind of what our diverse categories were and how there are shades of that, right? So we had in our initial launch, we had like one Asian American person on the site. And like, just saying that out loud, I'm thinking to myself, like, that is crazy. 
<laughs> thinking of how large of a demographic everything that encompasses Asian Americans, AAPI, Southeast Asian, mainland China, Asian, whatever it is, right? And how many different representations we have of that here in America. So we wanted to make sure that we were kind of filling out some of our categories that maybe felt um, a little light and didn't really represent the the true sphere of of what that fabric of American experience is, um, sure. that first generation or that immigrant experience. So we put out a roster call a couple months ago and said, you know, these are some categories that we'd really love to increase our representation and increase our voices in. And we shared that posting, um, you know, through our friends and networks, posted it in Facebook groups, shared it out on Twitter, like all different places to try and really capture um, submissions and inputs from people outside just my like, you know, one step or two step web of who I'm connected right. to. And uh, we've just invited um, about 12 more people to join the roster. And uh, some of them are, are published up on the website. As of yesterday, I approved the, mm. um, uh, the rework of the site. So yeah, we are going into the 2024 election, we are going to be 42 members strong, um, which I'm really, really pleased about. And I think we're always, we're always kind of keeping our ear to the ground or recognizing when we get a casting request from a client that we can't fulfill. Right. And sometimes they're very, 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 very specific. And it's like such a one-off thing that I don't feel like I have to go out and like find that person to be on the roster just because this right. client asked for something so narrow, so specific. And I, I totally appreciate that a client wants something so narrow, so specific, but it's not something that comes up every day. But, you know, through our virtual assistant and our executive producer who supports the site, when they come to me, kind of, you know, I'm floating 30,000 feet above, when they come to me and say like, oh, we had a request for this, I kind of log it in my mind, right? Okay, great. That wasn't something we could fulfill. We we gave them access to another database or suggested an agency that they could go to, whatever. But then if I hear that request again, again, and I'm like, okay, like this is something, this is something yeah. that we should address. Is this something that is riding a wave of popularity? Is there someone who's famous in Hollywood that this is getting listed as a reference? People can't afford this person, so they're looking for someone like them. Is it going to come up again and again? So, you know, I think uh, like a marketing and advertising agency, I think we have to be aware of trends and we have to be aware of the types of things that people are going to ask for. And then also have the wherewithal to understand that, you know, if a client is looking for something that is so, 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 so narrow, it's not our job to go out and find the actor for them. That's labor. It's right. their job to go out and you're like, so sorry, we don't have that person on our 42 voice actor roster, but like, here are six places where maybe you might be able to find them. Bon voyage. Right. And you're not trying to be all things to all people. Correct. You're trying to be a high quality solution for a given bandwidth of people. And, and uh, I, again, I am thrilled to have discovered you, thrilled to have been able to talk to you both. Now is the uh, socials portion of the show. Um, Allegra, why don't you tell people where they can find and follow you? And then we'll throw it over to you, Maria. Yes, you can find me on Instagram at Allegra Verletza. That's my main hangout. Um, so, yeah, come watch my dogs on my Instagram story. <laughs> That's 
I'm showing up just for that. Maria, uh, give us the laundry list of URLs. And then obviously, of course, everything is also going to be down in the show notes in the description. So. For sure. Um, so you're, if you're interested in Blue Wave VoiceOver, it's just bluewavevoiceover.com. And we're also at Blue Wave VoiceOver on uh, Instagram. Um, my personal site is voicebymaria.com. And my Instagram is at Maria Pendo. Also, lots of pets, uh, four cats all the time. I also like to share cooking. Um, I keep my Instagram very much uh, a slice of life rant here or there. So feel free to join me there. I'm also happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. I really don't use Facebook anymore. So no friend request there, please. Right. Um, also, if anyone listening to this uh, resonated with anything we talked about as it pertained to disability, you're also welcome to check out the Disabled Voice Actors database, which is at disabledvoiceactors.com. There's an intake form. If you're a disabled voice actor, you can fill that out. It's free to be listed and it's also free to the casting community. So if you happen to be someone who is in a hiring position and you'd like to be able to include disabled folks in your casting service, searches either specifically for roles that require disabled authenticity, or you want to help elevate disabled people in finding more work, um, you can include them in non-disabled casting searches. Um, there is a form on that website also to fill out to be provided access to the database and password. Um, all of that information is kept password protected for the safety of the members who are in that database. Um, but we launched that in December and we're super proud. We have over 500 actors listed in there now, and we've had more than 75 casting directors, animation studios, producers, audiobook publishers uh, request access to that. And uh, Maria, I am uh, I'm warning you right now that you will be back on with me when we get to Disability Awareness Month, because I really would like to dive a little further uh, into, and by the way, uh, diving further into it for me, having broken my neck in a diving accident. Um, Maybe I'll, not the I, right verb. No, I'm going to laugh at that. It's been a while, you know, um, but I'd really love to have you back to talk about the disability uh, aspect of voiceover. But uh, gosh, both of you, it has been such a wonderful and enlightening discussion. Uh, Maria Pendolino and Allegra Verletza, thank you so much for being here. And just thank you for being the wonderful shining points of light that you are in an often murky industry. Uh, everybody, we've got links in the show description down below. But until next time, everybody, I'm Andrew Scott. That's Maria. That is Allegra. This has been Booth to Booth. Go get in your box. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Take care, everybody. Happy Pride. Bye-bye. From the beautiful Pacific Northwest, this has been Booth to Booth with Andrew Scott. Booth to Booth is a narrow band broadcast network production in association with andrewscottmedia.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Our theme music was written and produced by Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative. Christopher Vacano, webmaster. Available at vacanocreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott. Available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got topic ideas, questions, or comments for the show? Email us at patchin at booth2booth.com or by simply clicking the link in the description. On behalf of host Andrew Scott, I'm Eric Murray. From our booth to yours, thanks for joining us. See you next time on Booth to Booth. NBBN.
Band Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.